No, Tommy sent me the beaver and I died. It was a beaver, right? It was like carrying like a stack of carrots. <laughs> One of the best days of my life. And I'm Moisir. And you're listening to Undercurrent, a podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn. We've got three orders of business today. Undercurrent's first open call, the opening of Loy Lua's show Homeless this week, and finally, a short reflection on Patrizia Gelita's show Solo Circuit, which closed two weeks ago. Yes, Undercurrent is hosting an open call through December 20th for a show for 2021. Artists are encouraged to pitch their proposals by visiting undercurrent.nyc and filling out the application there. Processing fee is $20. This has been a very fluid period of time for Undercurrent since its return from being closed because of the quarantine, and the gallery directors are trying all kinds of new things, so this open call is one of them. So again, the deadline is December 20th, and you can fill out the application at undercurrent.nyc. Now, Adrian, I know it's been uh, a minute since I've had you on mic here, so uh, tell me, are you going to apply to the open call? Don't ask me that, Wazir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, we have to eat up this time some other way, so what have you been up to lately? Oh, man. Um, other than the you know, very exciting prospect, which is waking up every morning in a fascist state that is also in a pandemic... Uh, I have been still in my school, doing my projects. I wrote the press release for Loy's show, which was really fun to do. And yeah, just doing a lot of reading, writing, and luckily I have a studio here. So it's been, it's been good days. What about you, Monsieur? You've been, you've been productive in the studio? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I've I've been productive myself in in various little mini endeavors, and one of them I hope will bear fruit at Undercurrent soon. Um, it all depends on maintaining access to a laser cutter on campus, which I I finagled my way into, and uh, and now have to have to uh, master. And Could then, this be a sign, perhaps? Like like an omen, like an <laughs> like what do you mean no. a sign? Do you mean, are you laser cutting a sign like a, for Undercurrent's like a, entrance? Like, like Taurus? <laughs> no, like a like a signage, a piece of uh, a logo. Oh, no, 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 nothing like that. No, it's, um, no, I don't, I'm actually, I've probably mentioned this to you before, but you probably just forgot or weren't paying attention. But, uh, but it's, it's a little house I'm going to make, a little birdhouse. No, but what is, I know that, but what does it have to do with the undercurrent? It's going to be living at undercurrent. Oh, well, there we go. So That's fantastic. I mean, it's, yeah, it's 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 tied together. I tried explaining it to my mom, and it just didn't work. But anyway, so uh, that's going to be the nicest birdhouse a lot of birds have seen in a while. Laser well, cut. see, that's that's kind of the funny thing is that it's actually not for birds. <laughs> it's is just this for me. Are you making me a house? Thank you so much. Finally. I have a place of dwelling in my favorite space. Uh, 
I mean, housing is rough in New York and you are small, but the house is still too big for you or you're still too big for the house. I think uh, you might like you could barely fit your fist in it probably. And yeah, sorry. You'll have to figure something else out for for living in New York. Um, but in any case, the so yeah, so we we've both been productive. We're both sick of the pandemic. We're both eager to have undercurrent succeed in the near future, etc. And we invite you, listeners, to participate in that success in some way, whether by applying to the open call by going to undercurrent.nyc or by going to the opening of Loy Lo's show, uh, Homeless. So yeah, so that's the next thing on the agenda. It opens on Friday, December 4th, with an opening from 5 to 9 p.m. at Undercurrent, 70 John Street in Brooklyn. Now, Adriana, like you said, you wrote up the show. What uh, Can you, can you kind of tell me what your press release was about? Or, or should I read choice excerpts from it? We could do a combination of both. I had so much fun looking at um, Loy Luo's work. Unfortunately, I couldn't see it in person um, and will not be able to, but I encourage all of you out there to go give it a look um, because it's just a really interesting group of paintings. I mean, first of all, I would also like to point out that the curation will be really exciting. They're all going to be on little wooden blocks, so the whole situation in which you're walking into or the experiences that you'll have with these paintings will be a little bit, you know, I don't want to say unorthodox, but it definitely runs with the the subject matter of the works, which are um, kind of New York City's uh, homeless and people who are living kind of on the periphery of, 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 of these infrastructures. Um, Loy's painterly hand is a really interesting way of being in kind of conversation with these kind of isolated figures. I mean, if when you go see them in person, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll see, but it's just this very tender application of paint that kind of keeps moving back and forth. Um, but yeah, I, I had a great time writing about it. Now, I know you sort of mentioned the New Yorkiness of the show in passing, but then you also, you open the, your notes with this striking sentence about how long and to what degree must a being imprint itself upon the geometries of our lived architecture before imparting suggestions of a warm body. And I was trying to think of that in the sense of New York, and I was curious if that's something that you pulled out of Lua's work or whether that's something that you've been thinking about like what what led you to see in the work this kind of question about this relationship between architecture and not just a living body but precisely a warm body is there a kind of intimacy associated with this or that's a really good question because I think about this a lot not only in my own work but just walking around the city and I think we've had conversations before where we're kind of talking about the hard geometric grid-like structures that we exist within and how the body exists as this sort of like non-geometric and kind of amorphous and highly malleable figure within these, I mean, 
I love uh, reading Desartaux and kind of taking this idea of this constant verticality and the constant regeneration of the city, creating these displacements. I, I it's hard to imagine where the body or where an individual can intercept that or um, win against it um, more so. I don't even know if win is the right word here, but I mean, that was that was what came to mind when I was looking at her work, especially um, in pieces such as Black Wall, in which you kind of see this figure leaning against this wall that's kind of consuming or uh, she's kind of disintegrating into her environment. When you say like when, what do you, I mean, I know you, you hedged it, but like, what is this, this motion of prevailing? What is this need to prevail against the city? Do Is the warm body of a human in conflict with the city or how do you, how do you read that? The relationship between the, the vertical lived architecture and the, the warmth of the human touch? I guess I would just say, be, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about kind of the memories embedded in, in buildings and neighborhoods, especially in New York, where there's a constant turnover, you know, with construction and, mm-hmm. you know, memories and uh, will just be kind of torn down in a way. And I guess I was, I was well, thinking of, Oh, sorry to interrupt, but it's like Colson Whitehead says the you become a New Yorker the first time you look at something and say, "Oh, I remember when that was something else." Exactly right. Yeah, and I was just thinking about that in the way of how we can perhaps exist in a in a situation or an ecosystem that that treats human beings as highly dispensable. Mm-hmm. And as as highly dispensable as the building materials that they dispense with, you know? Um, or even, like, do you, maybe even the humans are more dispensable. Like, they're more disposable, more, you can put them through the grind with more facility than to put a skyscraper through the grind. Right. And ideas of kind of materiality or materials losing their their purpose or their 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 use value and thinking about how humans and people in I don't know if this is going to sound bad thinking about how people who exist within these structures and perhaps do not or are not able to fulfill their use in society are perhaps disabled or struggling with substance abuse or just poor and how our cities are not designed to, you know, support everybody. And that is the problem. The cities, the warmth that you talk about, the warm body is something that the city refuses to care for and exactly. refuses refuses to generate its own warmth and extend that to the people that make it up. It exactly. in, instead has a logic of, you know, like you said earlier, like a living in a fas- fascist state, I think, you know, that's, a little bit histrionic, but you're in Berkeley, so it's okay. <laughs> and, but it is, it is this kind of idea that the the role of the built environment is to regulate and to control, and not to nurture and support and comfort. Right, and then, what Loy does really well is kind of 
provokes our feelings of complicity in these scenes that we see every day um, in the city and kind of asks us about the limits of interaction and uh, uh, sort of what we are what we kind of accept as now an everyday occurrence and whether that is what she's not really I don't I didn't get the sense that she's propositioning us to come to any sort of conclusion but I definitely left from looking at her work um at least on the browser that I was looking at it on with a sense of um unease but in a good way mm -hmm. um but yeah no. how did no well when you when you say this kind of like interaction and so earlier we were talking about how the city doesn't support but then there's also the question of like people supporting people and especially we talk during this pandemic about things like mutual aid and caring for your neighbor and you know um you know calling people that you know live by themselves to make sure that they're doing okay and these sorts of things but the in the two paintings from the i haven't seen seen the work at all but I've seen the two paintings that are that accompany your press release and what strikes me about them is that they they both involve like it's a it's a solitary figure against a largely but not wholly uniform background and thinking through what you're kind of talking about it's 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 hard to see this it's it, it's not exactly as though it's like fighting against the monotony, like that single individual is fighting against the monotony of an uncaring city or something along those lines, which, you know, ties into the, the title of the show homeless in some degree, but it's also hard to see that there's a, there's a disturbing solitude. There isn't the kind of pleasant solitude of being in the woods by yourself and thinking about, you know, how great nature is. This is, it's more kind of, you know, like they say, you know, that New York is the most unfriendly city because even though it has millions of people, no one talks to anybody and, and you're always alone. And that aloneness is performed here in these paintings to some degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think as like affordable disintegration happens with the backdrop of these paintings, you kind of get the sense that both the physiognomy and the the souls of these people are slowly disintegrating along with it. Um, and and I'd say in all of her paintings, the the characters are the figures are faceless. Um, they've and that's a really it's a really interesting kind of both an anonymity that you lend them, but also it's just incredibly it's just incredibly moving, I think. Um, yeah, it's it's an anonymity that also lets the people who are who are housed, who, who ignore, you know, people like the Troubadour and Quasimodo from the paintings. And, you know, they, they, that is to say, we, as someone who has a living space and is 
pretty comfortably well off. Like I, I move through this space wherein these people are understood as kind of, um, something this sounds terrible, but it's true. Um, as something between like an obstacle that's slowing you from reaching the pharmacy or wherever you're going to go buy something, you know, I'm speaking about people asking for money specifically, but also there's this kind of, um, like liberal fantasy of being able to transcend past the, um, to see them no longer as an obstacle in the sense of to not see them at all, you know, so that, so that you, you don't, you don't see them as a symbol of a crisis of a symbol of an economy that's completely collapsing or anything like that. You don't see them at all. And they become the backdrop of the city. And, and that's, that's so dehumanizing, but is precisely what, what, drives a lot of the ways that the city deals with these kinds of uh deals with these people and deals with this these kinds of situations um i don't know if uh if you've ever seen this but um when it's really cold in new york um like really really cold at night uh when i would go for walks i would see like late at night like two three o'clock in the morning when I would go for walks, I would see ambulances, um, you know, that are, are dispatched to pick people up who are sleeping on, on uh, subway grates and the like, you know, in order to try and uh, try and sort of care for them in some way. And it really struck me because it was, um, it had a, a, it felt humanizing in the sense that it didn't just assume that the solution to the problem was to round up these people who are, you know, at risk of freezing to death, literally, um, rounding them up and just depositing them in some kind of shelter or something along those lines against, against their wishes, no, no less, right? Instead, they, the city sees this as an acute medical emergency, and doesn't, you know, there are cops involved also, but there is an ambulance. And that added step of having EMTs involved sort of uh, re refuels the human component of, of the, you know, of these people. And they're no longer just... Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, I, I have been thinking a lot about kind of homelessness from where I'm living in the Bay Area, there's a huge homeless crisis. And kind of the ideas that we attribute to the, what is, is domicile the right word? Or home or structure. Um, because a lot of these people are setting up impromptu and highly uh, quickly dissembled um dwelling spaces on the edges of highways or of you know in in areas underneath a, a highway passing and kind of this idea of having to be able to pick up everything extremely quickly 
to kind of go find another place to blend in for a while until the presence of or the testament to the city's total failure becomes too much for the average Joe walking to his coffee shop every day and then they have to you know what I mean so it was really interesting that you said that to kind of disassociate from what we do in this country you have to completely not see them they have to become invisible otherwise you are faced every day with your own um what's the word like complicity in, in complicity yeah yeah because yeah. it's it's the it it feels like i mean there are some people you know like uh uh, one of my good friends, she would, she would always, it would like whenever somebody asked for money, she would stop and and give something. And I always found that um, very, um, like I found it difficult for me to do, um, and not because you know I don't think I'm ungenerous or anything like that, but that we, in if if we think about this in terms of a social crisis or a social problem then it seems like the only two solutions are like contempt um which is or like trying to wish it away by pretending Mm. it doesn't exist yeah and um and and because the actual the actual work of trying to ameliorate these lives feels like impossible like it feels it it feels like you know, what's a dollar, but then again, you know, what's a dollar to me to give to someone, but on the flip side, what's a dollar to them too? Like, you know, I know what a dollar buys you in this city and it's not a whole lot. Um, and, and then even worse is the, um, like, man, I'm, I'm, gonna get canceled in so many ways because of this conversation but like uh because of the pandemic um like i haven't touched cash in in almost a year now right like i pay for everything with with either plastic or with my phone so what does that do to the two slash four the you know handful of guys who are always standing more or less at the corner of Broadway and of 125th and Broadway, like asking me for money. Mm-hmm. Like I, like the, you know, the, the decashification of the economy has the, the, has this kind of knock on effect, you know, and why don't I use cash? Because cash is unsafe, you know, mm-hmm. because cash could have a virus on it. You know, which is a little bit ridiculous knowing what we know about the virus now. But, you know, seven months ago, you were like, why would you ever touch money, especially from a stranger? You want to get sick? And so it's like, and so as, like, as the problem has has become exacerbated by the economic collapse and, you know, and by the pandemic, at the same time, the, the bare minimum way that, like, a uh, professional managerial class person like myself can sort of, uh, you know, make pat myself on the shoulder and be like, they're there, good liberal, is 
is taken from me because I'm not going to carry around a stack of singles to give to people like because cash is out of like I don't use cash anymore yeah I also wonder if it's some kind of like desire for removal I mean when the pandemic ends people might or I don't even know what to say when when this global crisis becomes less so perhaps people will go back to using cash but maybe the feelings of distaste for having to a possible contamination of something you're passing back and forth that feeling will remain and I'm wondering about (laughs) Apple Pay or cards as a way to kind of further insulate ourselves this is a whole different conversation though um but that's a really interesting point yeah that that uh that for all of the dehumanizing like a commodification etc established in like in inherent in building up a cash economy um on the other hand it's more humanizing because it it at least like give some kind of moment of interaction and control with with another human where you're actually right. handing them something and and uh and sharing that that touch you know precisely what you talk about like with the uh with the the suggestion of a warm body like there's that warm body there's that frisson between the fingers when they touch or whatever when cash exchanges hands that's mm-hmm. now impossible under 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 the covid era right right Anyway, yeah. like yeah, like you said though, we're we're moving very much uh off the mark, I guess. So so that's that's Loy Luo's show, um, Homeless. The opening is on December fourth at Undercurrent from five to nine PM at seventy John Street in Brooklyn. So uh do check it out. Um and yeah, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about was, I don't know how much you, you paid attention, but we did have a show right beforehand, uh, Patricia Gilita's solo circuit. Patricia is a artist of Lithuanian descent who lives in Germany, I think. And um, sort of, we were caught up with a bunch of other stuff, so we didn't put out a podcast episode for it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and it was... I do want to sort of acknowledge it in some way. So it ran Yeah, from... I would love to hear your thoughts. I I was starting school. I wasn't as on top of the show, but you um I heard you speak about it briefly and you had some really interesting thoughts, so I'd love to hear more. Yeah, sure. I you know, I don't don't want to say too much um because it's it's also sort of moving out of my head a little bit, but it ran from October 23rd to November uh 21st and it was um it was really great because uh, so it's it's a it's a video installation and it was supported by the Klaipa, the Cultural Communication Center, the municipality of Klaipa. The Klaipa is the third largest city in Lithuania, in case you didn't know, and the Lithuanian Council for, for Culture and Western Shipyard Group. Yeah, Klaipa is um, the port. It's the big port city in Lithuania. It's on the Baltic Sea, and um, I'll get to. You know, that that just triggered a couple ideas in my head, and I'll get to those in a second. But um, the the work was, it's an installation of three floor-to-ceiling projections on three of Undercurrent's four walls. And in that way, it sort of uh, 
brings to mind um, Carl Lee's video installation that was the like the very first show at Undercurrent, where it also was, I want to say it was also three projections, um, but Carl also had other work there too. And just how much, you know, Undercurrent has, has, has matured over the year um, because Carl's exhibition, Carl's projections were like, you know, the, the projectors were, and I don't know how much of this was Carl's view. We talked about a little bit, but I don't remember how, what he said about it, but like they were on folding chairs and there were cables everywhere, etc. Whereas for this one, the three projectors were mounted on the ceiling and, um, you know, the, the sound system, they, they used, uh, the various, uh, PA systems that I, that I loaned them or lent. I don't want to like, I didn't rent them out. I just lent them. Um, and so it was a, a, an immersive experience in a way that, um, you probably would have been hard pressed to imagine in a place like undercurrent because we've, never seen a show there that did such a good job of taking of of removing the outside environment like when you were down there it, the all of the light came from the projections so the you know it, it, it was like being in a museum when you're in in a video installation in a museum where like that's all you see you know there aren't there isn't incidental other light like in Carl's show there was you know his sculptures were lit up etc so it was a little bit hard to get the whole uh the whole view in and then the films themselves are it's this kind of uh uh this kind of jokey or at least to me this kind of funny um meditation between the analog and the digital worlds because like everything at undercurrent is mediated digitally like the vid the films were obviously sent as digital files they were loaded up onto three little raspberry pies which were each connected to you know the digital projector and like the you know the signal path changed to analog only once the light left the projector or once the sound uh, went out the cable to the PA systems. Like it was an all digital affair. And then furthermore, the, the movies look like um, something like a light bright. Are you familiar with a light bright or is that no. too before your time? <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Um, so a light bright is a, it was, it's so ridiculous in retrospect. Uh, it was a great idea for a toy. So it was a, a box with a light in it, right? And holes and little plastic things that you stick into the holes. Yes, that light up. I love those things. I remember when I was a kid, it was so fun. It was like you were a little mini scientist. God, I didn't understand how the hell it was so cool. Yeah, Sorry, so don't put that in the podcast. <laughs> no, I I think every you know our our fans definitely want to know about your your past as a future scientist. <laughs> um, you know, but the 
so the effect is you have this grid of lights, right? So it either looks a little bit like a light bright, except a light bright, of course, is multicolor, and this is just all one color. Or also, I was thinking of like computers in TV shows in the 60s, like in Batman or something, where it's just like a panel of lights that are blinking, um, like to, to give the sense of digital stuff going on. But what it actually is, is Gilita is uh, photographing its stop action, stop action animation photographs from overhead of a grid of tea lights mm. so i initially thought they were votive candles like at a church and i i had a far different reading well not different but like you know like i i was reading it through that um through that sort of catholic tradition um but, or something mm, well sure and but now that they're tea lights, it's a little bit more prosaic, not in a bad way. Um, but it's but you see these little little lights going up and occasionally the photograph catches uh, someone lighting them. I assume it's Gilita, but I don't know exactly. And then the the pattern. So light bright. Um, one of the things I didn't like about it was that it was. So it's like when you. Did you play with Legos at all as a kid? I didn't. Or something like that. So the no. the the thing about Legos is is there's basically like two kinds of people with Legos. There's the people who when they get a set, they follow the instructions and build what's the instructions and then that that's what they play with. And then the people who like don't care about the instructions at all and just build something, right? And originally Legos were targeted to the second type of person because the like I remember when I was really young, like you couldn't buy like Star Wars Lego sets. There was just like basic, and basic was just blocks. And on the on the box there would be like pictures of things you could build, but nothing like directions, right? But then you know in the you know then they started having like space Legos and pirate Legos, and the Legos got more and more uh, specific. Like pirate Legos. They had shapes for the boats, like the 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 um, the the bow and the stern of the boats were like these these shapes that couldn't be used for anything else, and and so that kind of like imaginative thing kind of disappeared. My brothers and I, we were all follow the instructions. Um, so Light Bright had this promise of being able to let you design anything you want out of the little the little uh, plastic beads that you put in. But the reason you got excited about it was because they showed you how you could use it to like draw Yoda or something, <laughs> you know? And the way you would draw Yoda is you got these um, black card uh, construction paper inserts that you would place mm -hmm. over the light bright and they had little X's. Um, where you were supposed to put in one of the pieces to make Yoda or whatever. And, you know, you don't know this about me, but when I was a kid, the idea of like a disposable toy um, really unsettled me. And like the, the idea of punching through the insert with, uh, with one of the little plastic pieces, like, like, would just would damage the insert 
And so it drove me nuts. I was like, I, you know, what if I want to save this for like, that's, that's what it always was, was it was always like, well, what if I want to make this at some other point in the future? And I won't be able to because the insert will have already been punched up. Um, so I just sort of never played with it because it was too, like, it was, it was too, uh, stressful for me as a kid to like deal with the possibility of destroying something that I will want to have in the future. That's how um, I felt about cut out paper dolls. Yeah. Yeah. So because it's, you're like, um, wait a second. I know paper does not last forever. And you're telling me I get one chance at this one chance to put her dress on. Right. I don't think so. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it till I'm spiritually ready. Right, right, right. And, uh, well with paper dolls, like, um, I at least what I liked about paper dolls was that like we didn't glue the clothes on like we just like sort of folded the tabs over yeah yeah. and so that at least was it but but yeah if you messed up cutting game over you know phrase at the edges she starts to look a little tattered yeah yeah It's, it's terrible but in any case, so uh, how did I, how did I start talking about this? Um, but yeah, so the patterns. So it's not like uh, Gelita was making um, Yoda pictures. Like the the patterns are are kind of abstract and they're tied in with the titles. Like one of the things is one of the films is called Two Sons. I think that's what it's called. Um, and they're and out of for control in terms of because they're candles. They burn well, that's, out. That's a good question. Like, I I don't really know. I didn't ask her. And ultimately, I'm not sure how much I care about, like, how planned out the patterns were or anything. Like, one of them, one of the videos is called The Sea. And it's it has a very uh, clear horizontality um, to it, like The Sea, which, which ties in with the Kleipeda thing, like the idea of the port. But yeah, you know, like the candles go out by accident on purpose. You know, they burn at roughly the same rate, but only roughly. And so it's, uh, you know, it also reminded me of Conway's Game of Life. I don't know if you know the Game of Life. No. It's this, uh, it's a... board um, game? No, that is a board game too. Um, Be a winner at the Game of Life. Get married. (laughs) Have a baby. That was the ad for it. Um, That's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, it, you know, talk about heteronormative. That that you like the game no matter what you spun, you stopped at a certain moment to get married. <laughs> They're like, "Sorry. This is the one way the only way is out and you have to get married." Yeah, yeah. Um and then uh, uh no, this is this is a different thing. It's a it's a computer science thing. It's uh ima- if, again, imagine a grid and then imagine uh, like you you put random dots out, right? And the dots have certain rules. I don't remember the rules off the top of my head, but it's like um, if a dot is surrounded by three or more other dots in the next iteration, it dies. If it's surrounded by uh, two or one other dot, something like that, then, uh, or if it's surrounded by three other dots, then it survives. If it's surrounded by... Um, and somehow it even reproduces, but I don't, I like, like you get new dots, but I'm not entirely sure how that works off the top of my head. But there's, there's an element of that. So if you ever, so you're wa- in like a constant, you're actually um, not playing anything. You're, you're just, the way you play it is by drawing the initial circumstances and, and seeing what develops. And like, oh, oh like, so you're like an escape artist, but it takes multiple tries. Of 
something a little bit like that. Um, like we, you know, I'll, we'll talk about it, you and I, some other time, I think. And uh, I'll explain it better and, and show you some videos or whatever. Because it's, it's kind of neat and might might be interesting for you specifically but anyway so that's that's kind of how the how the uh the videos looked and then on top of it there was this like really dense sound design by donatas bielkowskas donis who um gave like the whole effect was uh somewhat lynchian like the um i would i would think about the kind of like the sound design that David Lynch used in the new Twin Peaks in the Twin Peaks, the return like that, you know, the, all the stuff that happens in New York city with the giant, um, glass cube, like the kind of, uh, zapping and really like deep and intense sound design. That's like very characteristic of late Lynch, um, is also in this. So, so is this kind of thing, but then also it also had this kind of whimsy because when you're standing in there and the only things that are, are, providing light are these little tea lights in this animation then you yourself are covered in them and it's like you know it's it's this you're you're wearing stars or something like that so it was it was oh, nice that's, and it was that's a really beautiful thought yeah yeah it was it was it was nice it was it it uh um like i i never got to see it in in full glory because i was so involved with the technical setup but, uh, but yeah, but that's, so that's what it was like. Anyway, so that was Patricia Gilita's solo circuit, and that's about all I got. I was also thinking, I mean, I didn't see this, obviously, but I'm also wondering about, like, the, the facet of, of, of warmth, because it's kind of like the suggestion of warmth through the materiality, albeit it's, it's a digital protect projection, but you get this kind of interesting feeling that you should be experiencing some sort of warmth from the candles, but instead it's kind of this digital uh, cloaking, like you said, um, that extends only in, in imagery. Yeah, um, Julius, uh, right before the opening um called me i so one of the co-directors he called me and he was he he felt that the the show was like lacking something and he wanted to think of something special for the opening and he he called me and pitched me an idea and he's like does this sound stupid or what and i'm like no it sounds great so what he did was he went and bought a bunch of tea lights and lined the steps up of the entryway into undercurrent with the tea lights oh, wow. and uh it's it it served a very important need because the space was so dark you couldn't even see the steps <laughs> so it was like like those steps are dangerous to begin with yeah um and then uh and then and then it's totally dark so they had the little lights there and i thought it was kind of telling that of the photos i saw of the exhibition many of them were of people like sitting by the tea lights and kind of enjoying um, warmth is maybe not quite the right word that I would use because it's like, no one's going to get warm from a tea light except mm. for like a chafing dish, you know, 
Like the the amount of things that you can actually warm with a tea light are very. Well, small. I meant more like the representation of like a warmth. Well, precisely, and the the photos of of uh, like I just seem to recall one was of like a couple or something like that, and there was this this uh, uh, there was this warmth in the form of intimacy mm. um, in those photos, and I think that that kind of that opened up onto the being in the space with the movies themselves that there mm. was this uh that there was this space of um where you could be alone in the sense of be un undisturbed by other people but that also left you really wanting to be with someone else and sharing that with someone else That's nice. and i think I, that that i wish i'd caught the show yeah so i think that that um like that was that was a completely unexpected effect um of of you know the when i saw the show and all this sort of stuff was this this very much like um i don't want to be in this to like get lost in my thoughts i want to be in this to get lost with someone else's thoughts so yeah so that was like i said an unexpected side effect and I think that it, it has to do with like you were saying the sort of warmth that's implied by the the candleness of these things um, especially when taken out of the, the uh, Catholic context of the vote of candles right well undercurrent listeners if you missed that show I think there's pretty good documentation up on our website um, along with the video I believe so if you're like me and miss the opening, definitely check it out. Yeah, and then, yeah, so that was Patrizia Gilita's solo circuit uh, that, that ran for most of November. And then, yeah, and then we have the open call. Uh, go to undercurrent.nyc and apply, uh, and maybe your show will get in, or encourage friends who are artists to apply. And then the last thing is Loy Luo's... Uh, show homeless which opens on december 4th anything else adriana no that's it thanks for listening everyone as always you can find out more about undercurrent at undercurrent.nyc which includes links to undercurrent social media profiles and to this podcast's archive we're also on instagram as undercurrent.nyc leave us a review like and subscribe to the podcast please on behalf of Undercurrent <laughs> and 1984 Products, I'm Adriana and I'm Wasir. Until next time. Until okay. next time. <laughs> <laughs>